0: It's wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to worship together uh, as a family of faith here at WPC. Today we continue our our series, Finding Enough, where we're discerning together what it means to live a life of enough rather than more. Last week we rooted our conversation in this work together by looking at the parable of the prodigal son, seeing how our money and possessions are not just simple things, things or stuff, but they are to be used for giving and sustaining life, both ours as well as our neighbors. Following worship this morning, we'll gather directly below us in the fellowship hall for a time of dialogue on the sermon, as well as the topic in general, and I truly hope each of you can join me. This conversation will will shape my sermon for the following Sunday, so it will be our shared reflection on this topic, an idea of what it means to seek out and live out an ethic of enough. Now we turn to our second lesson where we pick up last week, and I'll admit it's a challenging text, though I would say pretty light and breezy compared to our first reading from Amos, if you remember back to that. So we're turning to the very next chapter of Luke's gospel, which is almost entirely focused on money, possessions, and the perils of those who serve wealth rather than God. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 16th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the first verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, What will I do now, now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do. So that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, What do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in their dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful... And a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. This summer, the Fauquier Public Library had a wonderful reading program that uh, was entitled Oceans of Possibilities. Our kids loved doing the ocean-themed activities and completing their worksheets each week so that they could go in with their completed uh, sheet to get a little prize from the library as they exchanged library books. But there was something about this program they loved even more. Each time they went into the library, the librarian would let them contribute to a mosaic art project by placing just a little mosaic square of a particular color on the corresponding number for that color. They'd usually let Marie and I do one as well. And while I'm not usually artistically inclined, I have to admit it was pretty fun. At the beginning of the summer, the mosaic looked odd and formless with just a few random colored squares throughout. But as the summer drew on, the mosaic became more and more complete until finally in August it was finished. The thing about it was is that it was pretty clear from the beginning what the mosaic would be. A clownfish, you know, like Nemo, it, with an ocean uh, backdrop. But it still took some time. It took time as well as the effort of the entire community for this final image to finally emerge and become visible. It was like some of those math equations in school, which uh, also was never my forte, where your teacher gave you the correct answer, but you had to show the correct work on how you got to that answer. I thought of this mosaic this week while trying to wrestle with our truly challenging parable today. Parable the Dishonest Manager. Jesus gives us the clear moral of the story at the end. You cannot serve God and wealth. Yet this parable, the story that leads to the moral, is among the most confusing, maybe the most confusing, of all of Jesus' parables. It's one that has confounded scholars and church leaders for centuries. We have the right answer. Jesus gives it to us at the end but we still don't understand how we got there. There are a number of different ways we can approach this parable, but regardless of the path, all roads lead to Jesus' words in verse 13. You cannot serve God and wealth. So as we walk through this passage together, I invite us to wrestle with these words and see how we each kind of arrive at this moral on our own. The story starts off with a rich man who essentially has a property manager, or I think in today's terms, a financial advisor, someone who's handling his estate, his affairs, his his um, portfolio, you might say. Word gets out that his manager is serving him dishonestly. We don't really know what this means, whether this accusation means that he's stealing, or just plain negligent, or something else entirely. It's a key missing piece of the story, to be sure, but Jesus seems to intentionally leave this detail out. So learning he's about to lose his job, this manager goes into survival mode. He starts hustling. He gets a little scrappy. He can't fathom living without his job. He's too proud to beg. He's not strong enough to work with his hands. So he tries to save face by making deals with his boss's debtors. He takes one person's debt of 100 jugs of olive oil and cuts it in half to 50. He takes another debt of 100 containers of wheat and makes it 80. His shrewd dealings please his boss, and it seems as if he saved his own job. Now, friends, what I find equally interesting but also puzzling is what has this guy actually done to deserve his boss's praise? Much less, what has he done to save his job? Now, perhaps he was acting, uh, he was simply acting shrewdly by reducing any interest owed, trying to take these, these things off the balance sheet, you might say, which might also be commended because charging interest, as you might recall, is something that was forbidden by Hebrew law. Or perhaps he was lowering the amount owed by cutting his own commission out of the deal might also be something else we're missing entirely. It's no wonder one scholar calls this parable an an interpretive mountain to climb, of which it seems like there is no summit, at least not in this life. And whatever the reason, the boss praises his manager for, let's just say, simply getting the job done. And there's something about this manager's his, gumption, his scrappiness that Jesus seems to implore his disciples to try to emulate. At the same time, though, this commendation comes with a big warning. The one we said all interpretive lo- roads would lead to, that you cannot serve God and wealth. That word for wealth here is mammon. Some of you might know it from, from older uh, English translations of the Bibles that, that, seem, that will often translate that word simply as mammon rather than wealth. It comes from either Aramaic or Hebrew from a word meaning to rely on or that in which we place our trust. In light of our focus on finding enough, I think this word mammon might simply be understood as more. More. More wealth, more stuff, more fame or status, whatever it is in which we place our trust and our hope. The concern here that Jesus raises is that mammon or more can become an idol, even a god. When we prioritize our stuff or the striving for more over our relationship with God, mammon takes over our life. Mammon becomes a personal master when we are sucked into wanting more, better, newer, shinier, on and on. This goes with money and possession, sure, but you could also say the same with things like titles or degrees or social media likes or follows or any other form of notoriety that leaves us chained to the God of more. When this happens, we're unable to truly love God because we're too busy chasing more, mammon. We're also unable to love one another because when mammon or more becomes our master, people are seen as competition rather than neighbors. Unfortunately, friends, this is a reality we all know. Because because the world in which we live is set to the tune of mammon. The tune of more. Our culture, our world, continually tell us that what we have and who we are are not enough. We measure ourselves and compare ourselves constantly with others by the cars we drive, the amount of money in the bank, the vacations we take, the debt we carry. All these friends are subtle reminders that mammon, that more has a solid foothold in our lives and the world around us. Yet Jesus' words are crystal clear. You cannot serve God and wealth, mammon, more. Now perhaps it's worth taking a minute to think about how do we actually hear these words from Jesus, that you cannot serve God and wealth or God and more. You know, because our society is pretty sensitive to talking about money, I think we automatically hear Jesus' words as negative, as a scold or a warning, and our defenses go up. But I've been wrestling with this text for a while now. And I don't really see Jesus' words here, that you cannot serve God and more, as negative or as a scold or perhaps not even as a warning. Perhaps Jesus' words here are intended to be an invitation, a liberating invitation to free us from the patterns of greed and more in our culture and our world. Here Jesus says you no longer need to bow to the gods of mammon of more who constantly tell you that you don't measure up, that you don't have enough, that you yourself are not enough you no longer need to serve the gods of more because as my follower, you serve God alone. Rather than a scolding, perhaps these liberating invitational words and parable from Jesus function as a means of giving guidance on how we might faithfully participate in the economic systems of our world. After all, money is an absolutely essential part of our lives. We need to use the financial resources we've been given or that we earn to provide for our families, to save for retirement, or just a rainy day. We need them to pay taxes, to give to our neighbors in need. Luke's Jesus helps us envision how we can live as faithful stewards rather than as dishonest managers who squander finances and exploit our neighbors for our own gain. Luke's Jesus helps us reflect on how we might faithfully participate in our economic world using our resources, our our money, our possessions to save, spend, invest, and give in ways that are truly life-giving for ourselves and our community. And friends, this is exactly what I hope we'll be able to discuss together following worship today. We'll continue to wrestle with Jesus' parable and parting words in this passage as we navigate what faithful participation in our economic system might look like today. How we might serve God rather than our insatiable culture of more with some help from our friends in the minimalism community. You know, just like the mosaic art piece at the library Uh, took the collective effort of the community in order to complete, in order to become a finished product, so too does this conversation need all of us in order to be complete, in order to have a full picture. As we share our stories and our experiences, little by little, the picture will become clearer, moving from vague dots of color on a canvas to a beautiful, life-giving picture. So I truly hope you can attend this time because we need your voice. We need your insights and experiences that we might discern together what it looks like to serve a God of enough rather than the gods of more, mammon. Friends, you are not your stuff. You are not your wealth. You're not your profession or anything else. You are God's beloved child, that is enough. You are enough. We are enough. How could we ever want anything more?